Welcome to Building Teams with Teams & Co, where we explore how leaders can empower their teams, achieve ambitious strategies, and deliver an exceptional customer experience. Views expressed by guests are their own and may not reflect the views of Teams & Co. Mention of particular products or services and participation of a guest does not imply an endorsement by Teams & Co. The information provided is for educational and entertainment purposes and should not be taken as professional advice. Welcome to Building Teams with Teams & Co. I'm Luis Wilson, and in today's episode, I sit down with Tracy Eames to discuss the leadership fallacy of oversimplifying. Hi, Tracy. Good to be with you. Thanks, Luis. Great to be here today. Thanks. For today's episode, I know we're going to be focusing on three main areas that organizations have a tendency of oversimplifying. First is employee engagement, second, team building, and third, succession planning. That's correct, Luis. Uh, yeah, today we're really excited to talk about this because as leaders, we're, we're often really busy. Sometimes we're sitting in meetings all day and we're still trying to achieve results and still trying to develop our teams. And so really important things like employee engagement and team building, succession planning, sometimes get boiled down and oversimplified. And that can actually lead to us moving in the wrong direction on some of these items versus really helping empower our team. So we're really excited about it and uh, we'll jump in. Okay, great. Well, without delay, let's get started. Let's first talk about how managers oversimplify employee engagement and, and how have you seen that play out? Yeah, of course. First, let me start off by saying employee engagement is incredibly important. And I think uh, this has become kind of a buzzword, but it really truly is an important piece to the puzzle within our organizations. We want our teams to be excited and to be energized about what they're doing. We want them to be engaged in their work and see how that translates into you know, they're, they're our strategy as an organization. And so this is a really key piece of our role as a leader. But again, unfortunately, it gets distilled down into maybe a couple of action items versus being a way of leading. And I think this is a common kind of trap we fall into as leaders. We know we have a lot of things to do. So we make almost like a checklist and we do some of them, but we don't do them consistently and we don't do them each day. And so sometimes if you do a couple of these kind of quote unquote checklist items, they actually don't bolster employee engagement. They detract from employee engagement and they make your team members feel like you're not listening. And so we could talk a little bit about, about this and dive into it, but that's really the trap around employee engagement. I see. So leaders are finding themselves kind of looking at this more as action items as opposed to a whole effort of improving on employee engagement, but instead just kind of checking items off a list and moving on. So what are some of those items that maybe managers kind of zero in on and boil down employee engagement into these few items? Yeah. So I think one of the, um, you know, one of the common things that we do as leaders, and this is great, we want to learn from each other, right? So we hear a success story and we're like, ooh, that worked at company X or company Y. Let's try it at my company. And that can be good if it's put into a broader context. But again, we really have to take those extra steps. And sometimes we don't take them. And so it can translate into a situation where employees are wondering why this is the approach. And so I'll give you a, an example, hopefully we can all resonate with. You know, when we hear employee engagement, a lot of times we'll think about ping pong tables in the break room. <laughs> and you might you might think that's a funny example, but like I, I've seen it and I hear it a lot from folks who I speak to all the time when we're doing team interviews at the beginning of an engagement. It might not be a ping pong table, but we'll use that as kind of a, an example here today. But There'll be a meeting, some sort of company meeting or team meeting, and the leader will say, oh, we're really we're really focused on employee engagement. We want to make sure our employees are having fun at work and they're 
you know, they're, they're engaged in their work. And then the ping pong table will show up. <laughs> and this is great in terms of it's nice that the leader is thinking, oh, I want my teams to have fun. And I want them this to be like a really great culture where people feel like they can, you know, enjoy themselves. Um, but it doesn't always translate that that way to, to employees. And so what happens is after a few weeks, employees will be like, nobody's actually playing ping pong. It's it's really strange. And you as a leader might be noticing, hey, nobody's playing ping pong. Why aren't they playing ping pong? And this can happen for a few different reasons, right? So one, you know, you you might have employees who are saying, I, I don't actually really like ping pong, so I'm not going to play. Um, or two, they maybe want to play ping pong, but they kind of secretly think like, should, should I be playing ping pong? Will it look weird to my coworkers or to my boss if I'm taking a break and playing ping pong? Will people think I'm not doing my work? Like that's like one of the number one fears. Like if I do take advantage of this, Will it seem like I'm not dedicated to my work? And then three, you know, they might want to play the ping pong game or they might want to do whatever the other benefits are that you've offered, but they just don't have time. They're like, I, I could do this, but my schedule is so packed. I really can't take advantage of this. So now at the end of the day, you have this big announcement that you've made about employee engagement and you've done this one item, but nothing around that item within your culture is supporting people using that benefit and therefore it becomes disengaging because people are like, well, you didn't really listen to us because I don't really like ping pong. And they haven't really helped us be, you know, solve these other challenges that we have. So this becomes a point of contention versus a point of engagement. I see. I can personally relate with that example, Tracy. I know that I've seen the infamous ping pong table pop up in a, in a work area that we had at a, one of the research labs. And I have felt those exact same feelings. Hey, should I be playing? Is this something that's going to be perceived in a certain way? And then also having the challenge of not having the time for it. So, okay, leaders oversimplify and maybe focus in on doing something that perhaps worked for another company, like getting a ping pong table to drive employee engagement. Instead of zeroing in and oversimplifying and kind of just hitting these checklist items, what are some maybe key areas or key items that leaders should focus on to truly drive employee engagement over the long term? Yeah, of course. So I think I think the biggest thing here, again, is really taking the time to make it a part of your culture. First and foremost, you want to ask team members what matters to them, what actually will make them feel more engaged. You want to start to build that dialogue with people. And you want to also make sure that as you're building that dialogue and you're receiving feedback, that you're doing something with the feedback, right? Like we've, we've all been in the situations where our leader or manager asks us for feedback and then nothing happens. And and how does that feel? It doesn't feel great, right? Right. I mean, so you're, you're kind of like, okay, I spent all this time giving my feedback, but nothing happened with it. So again, as leaders, you can preface this. We obviously can't do everything. So you can preface it by saying, hey, listen, we want to get feedback. We're not going to be able to take action on every single item, but we do want to make sure as a team, we're having these discussions and that we're prioritizing and that we're hearing everybody's ideas. And then as a team also kind of making sure we choose what we can move forward with. So then you kind of have an idea of, okay, well, what would help our teams be more engaged? One of the things that really helped engagement, and, and, and if you Googled, you know, what drives employee engagement, you'd get a million different reasons. And the reason for that is because every team is different, which again, makes point one, having the conversation so important because you want to make sure you're doing things that really resonate with your team and with your organization. But one of the things that we find a lot is that, is that building that transparency, building that culture of feedback you know, asking for that input builds that dialogue that then kind of prevents situation number two, which is 
if I take advantage of whatever this benefit is, you know, will I be perceived as not doing my job or not, you know, not getting my work done? If you've built this transparency and you've been having this dialogue and you're, you know, you're the one actually, you know, participating. So I've played a couple of games of ping pong with my team members. I've used it in a way to kind of connect with them. Then that's great. You're really kind of reinforcing the fact that this is important to your culture. This is important to your, your organization. And it builds that reinforcement. And then third, a ping pong table or another fun activity. Those are great. They, they really create a sense of camaraderie. You know, we want to be also building a shared purpose and we want to make sure our team members feel valued in their day-to-day life. And a big piece of that is as an employee, I want to know that what I do every day at work contributes to the overall organization and our success. And so while fun activities are really important and they do drive, you know, engagement on a certain level, we also want to make sure that we're taking the stress out of all the other parts of our team members' days. So we want to make sure that we're supporting them as a leader to decrease their friction points. You know, we're helping them manage situations on cross-functional teams. We're helping take obstacles out. You know, we're having regular meetings with them to understand their goal progress and help them in areas that maybe they need some more support. Um, We're celebrating their successes. So again, if you want to have fun activities, tie it to something, you know, that's been a team success. So it really becomes relevant at that point, right? Like we as a team achieve X, we're going to go celebrate X. This is a really reinforcing um, idea that their input and their efforts matter within the organization and that you as a leader are recognizing recognizing them as a team member. And so those are some of the ways that you can start to, again, take these you know discrete items that might become a checklist, so to say, and build them into your daily kind of work cadence. And then therefore, employee engagement becomes more of a daily thing versus a one-off activity or a one-off benefit, so to say. I see. You're not discouraging against those perhaps individually discrete items to drive employee engagement, but saying instead those are pieces that fall into an ongoing effort that can really, as we're describing it now, be fit into three key areas, right? And that's first understanding what matters to your team by having those key conversations with them, then fostering an environment where you have transparency and the value the team members' input is valued as well and starts to build trust. And then third, making sure that they feel valued and that they're able to tie back their actions, their input, and their everyday work back to the overall mission, right? So they're feeling valued as a team member and their work is being valued as well by the organization. I did want to ask you, it seems like a lot of that comes from that first step of being successful and being able to collect feedback in an honest way and, and then being able to act on it or address it if it can't be acted on it. I I wonder, you know, if there's a leader that's a little bit in a rut or perhaps it's a little bit harder for them to solicit feedback. Do you have a very do you have a tactical way that somebody can kind of break the the cycle and start getting some honest feedback from their team? Yeah, of course. And I think you're right. Right. I think a lot of things start with that first step of building that feedback loop. It's something that can really help you understand where your individual team members are at, where the whole team is at. It's going to help you as a leader understand how you can help your team members. And so I think if you're finding it challenging, maybe you're a new leader, there's um, there's ways that you can kind of build a cadence with your team or you know restart a cadence with your team. So one of the key pieces is kind of, do you have meetings with your one-on-one team members, right? And so you, know, you wanna make sure that you're meeting with your one-on-one team members and you're keeping them. Sometimes when we get busy as leaders, we'll start to cancel one-on-one meetings it makes our team members actually feel like they're not important within our day. And so we want to make sure that we're keeping those meetings, 
that we're really valuing and honoring their time, that we're coming prepared to those one-on-ones and we're following up on their feedback. Again, not an overnight check mark, but it really becomes a, as you do it, it builds more and more trust. So yes, my leader keeps showing up. My leader has their goals with them. My leaders thought about these things. They come prepared with questions. They're taking the actions after our meeting to actually help you know, reduce some of these friction points or challenges that I have. So that starts to build that trust and camaraderie. You can also, you know, I know we're not, we're kind of virtual right now. So the in-person kind of feedback box doesn't work as, as well because we're not all in the same location all the time. But, you know, you can even set up kind of a, you know, a centralized process where you say, hey, once a week, somebody from the team is going to email me all the team's feedback. So it's de-identified. So if somebody has a question, I know that this week's feedback is coming from, you know, person X or person Y. So I don't think it's, to, you know, their feedback specifically. Or maybe there's a centralized email box that, you know, this can go to where people can, you know, kind of share their feedback in a de-identified way and then address it at the team meeting, right? And so if you've collected team feedback anonymously, then you want to say at the team meeting, like, hey, this week we got these three comments. You know, the first comment was that maybe our team meetings are too short. So, you know, I wanted to talk and get your feedback about that. The other comment was, you feel like you don't know what's going on with our change in strategy, that you, d- you don't really feel like there's a really strong understanding on the team. Or maybe you heard from one of the other team members that, you know, they have one piece of information and you don't. So first and foremost, I apologize if I didn't share that information to everybody at the same time. Two, I want to have a conversation with all of you at the same time around how can I best get you that information so you feel like you're informed. So it's not about coming to the meeting with the answers to the questions. But it's really coming to the meeting saying, hey, let's have a conversation about this as a team and figure out a way that we can solve this for us. My, my one caveat, just to kind of be clear, is sometimes in this informal feedback, you might get things that need to be addressed one-on-one. Um, and so in those situations, do take that offline, right? If somebody says, hey, you know, I'm going to identify myself and, you know, this message is from so-and-so, and I really want to kind of have a conversation with you, that you want to have a conversation one-on-one with them, right? You want to respect their request to have that conversation one-on-one and not bring it to the full team. You know, throughout that conversation, the two of you might decide, hey, this would be beneficial for the team, you know, and and then you can kind of agree on how you're going to raise that, right? Whether you're going to still raise it in a de-identified way or if you're going to raise it as the idea of that specific team member. But again, you want to have those conversations and really respect people's, you know, requests to have a one-on-one conversation. Thank you, Tracy. That's very helpful seems like there's a priority in making sure that you are showing to the team members that that time you have set up with them is valued, have being consistent with them. If you have those one, one-on-one set up uh, and getting those set up, right? So you're making, you're showing them that it's important to you as a leader by dedicating the time. And then also thank you for sharing the tactics in collecting anonymous feedback, right? While you're leading digital teams while we're making the adjustment right now and the ways that folks can do that. Great. Next, I wanted to move on to our second area that, uh, organizations can sometimes oversimplify, and that's team building. How have you seen team building be oversimplified? Yeah, I think it's um, it for me it becomes a again a one day event versus a process, right? And so there's actually a really specific reason why we've called this podcast "Building Teams" versus "Team Building," because a lot of times when you talk about team building, it's this one day event that you and your team all go to to have fun and build camaraderie versus building teams, which is an ongoing process where you and your team are working together 
to develop processes and procedures and guidelines and guardrails to help you be more successful as a team, right? And so those are two very different approaches. One's a point in time and one's a process. And, and it's not to say that, again, the point in time is important, right? As a team, we should be celebrating. We should be taking time to connect with each other, taking time to build camaraderie. But sometimes if that's the only thing you do, again, your team feels leaving like, mm, I don't really feel important and valued right now. This wasn't the thing I needed. I needed the actual process of developing some of these processes and helping me through my day. I see. So the oversimplification and team building kind of harbins back to the oversimplification of team engagement, seeing it as a, a discrete action or a one-time um, task to achieve as opposed to incorporating it and having it be part of your ongoing process. So what is, what's your point of view or your perspective on how leaders can focus to drive better team development? Yeah, of course. So I think, I mean, to your point, again, there's a real role for one day events, but I'm going to, I'll kind of go through a little bit about, you know, some of the pitfalls in them and then how you can kind of leverage that to actually, you know, build a team. So oftentimes when we think as a leader and, and again, Leaders are trying to do the right thing. So they take it from the approach of, oh, you know, I heard from my, one of my colleagues that they did this team building event and the team had a lot of fun, right? And so people are usually coming at this from the perspective of, I want to help my team, but I don't have time. And because I don't have time, I'm going to do this discrete event that has a, you know, a time uh, length defined, right? So maybe it's a half day, um, maybe it's a full day. But it's a defined set of time that me and my team can go out and, you know, build camaraderie. And this is great. It, the idea of it is great if if all the other pieces are in place. Um, but what happens sometimes on these events, and we've, we've all been a part of them, right? So you're like, you get the invite and you're like, okay, I'm really behind, but I have to take a half day out of the office to go do this ropes course. Uh, and I don't really like ropes courses and... Even if I did like ropes courses, I have so much work to do. So, you know, some of the team is already getting there feeling like, I just really don't have time. And then the other part of the team is like, oh, this is going to be so exciting. And maybe there's a few people who make connections and they have a fun time with each other and that helps build camaraderie. Also great. But for the team members who maybe are more introverted or, you know, you know, don't like the specific activity, they're feeling like, oh, my team leader doesn't care about me and didn't even ask my opinion if I wanted to do this type of event. And so even if some of the day was fun, sometimes the team comes back to the office feeling like, oh, now I just have more work to do and I'm a day behind doing it. And nothing in my day has been, gotten easier because of this event. Yes, we took kind of a pause, but it was just that, a pause. And now we're going to go back on Tuesday and we're all just going to feel as overwhelmed as we did, you know, last Friday. Um, so what I really, again, similar to employee engagement, have that conversation with your team. Right. You want to you want to ask them, like, if you want to do an event, what do you want to do? Right. And so that kind of solves for the the point in time piece of the puzzle. When you're thinking about building a team over time, what we talk about a lot at Teams and Co. is you want to build aligned and empowered teams. Right. And that's a more of an overtime kind of development process. You want to make sure your team has aligned goals. You want to make sure as a leader, you're helping improve the process of how they work together and reducing their friction points and reducing their stress during the day. And then you also want to set up kind of what we call guardrails in terms of how can your team know what they can be responsible for. Those three things really help us build teams over time and help them be more successful. I see. So again, moving from that point in time 
into making it more of an ongoing process where the focus is really in making aligned and empowered teams. And you mentioned aligning of the goals as being the first priority there, then secondly, moving to improving the processes and removing any friction points that your team might be facing as a leader, and then also making sure that they have guidelines and guardrails. Could you talk a little more about what you mean by guidelines and guardrails? Yeah, of course. So um, again, this all starts with the aligned goals. So every time we work with organizations, we make sure that we're aligning what the goals are. And this usually happens around aligning around the customer, right? That's the first point of alignment. Now, some organizations have this in place, which is why I say this is what usually happens. But if you don't have it in place, it's our first step with you is to make sure we all have a shared understanding of who the customer is and what's valuable to them. Then we can align that strategy, our strategy, to helping achieve that memorable customer experience. And from there, we can align all of our goals. So we have a set of company goals and then the team goals that you know support the company goals. And then my individual goals that would support the team goals that would support the organizational goals. So we really create that line of sight from me as an individual to the overall company success. Now, once you have that in place, you know, everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing. We're all pulling in the same direction. You still might have those situations where you as a leader are in meetings or you're traveling or there's some reason why you're not available to your team member, right? Mm -hmm. That happens to all of us. We're busy as leaders. So what we talk about is guidelines and guardrails. So helping your team understand, hey, within your role, here's what you're responsible for and here's what you have complete ownership over. And here's where, you know, maybe I would want to be engaged in the process. And this helps new leaders, especially, or folks who are taking on new responsibilities, really know when when you want to be kind of a part of a conversation or where you think you could be helpful versus where they can run on their own and really own that. And so an example of this might be, hey, If you're going to take on leadership of this cross-functional team, that's awesome. You know, I'd like to be involved in the beginning and just kind of outlining who should be there to make sure we have the right group of people. But after that, I want you to make an agenda and, you know, we can kind of go over those agendas in your team meeting, but you'll run the meeting, you'll circulate all the follow-up notes. You know, they might come back to you and say, hey, I really need to get in touch with this senior leader in another part of the business. Can you help me connect with that person? Of course, as a leader, I'm happy to do that. But they really have that autonomy to really be able to know what they should be proceeding with and then where they might need to come back to you to ask questions. So you might say, hey, as long as you're achieving these three goals and you're working towards them within this context, that's great. If for some reason this changes or the team comes up with a new idea, I'd like you to come back and I'd like to discuss that at one of our one-on-one meetings before we change direction, just so we're all aligned. But again, If you're in meetings all day, they can be proceeding without you. They can be working on the goal. They can be achieving the strategy. And then they know when they can come back to you for help or when they might need to come back and kind of, you know, get greater clarity around, you know, specific pieces. I see. So we want to make sure that right from the get-go, the first step as we we take in Teams & Co. is to make sure that everybody is aligned around the customer experience and they know what's valuable for them. Then making sure that you're improving the processes, removing any friction points that can have. And then those guardrails and guard lines, you want to make sure that the employees have clarity so they can go ahead and proceed and perhaps not be waiting outside of your meeting to, to take direction or understand what they can take decisions on, right? So they can have clarity around that. Thank you. And then the third area that I want to move into that organizations uh, can sometimes oversimplify, we've talked about employee engagement, team building. Now I want to move into succession planning. How have you seen that be oversimplified before? Yeah, so succession planning is one of those things that um, is really important to an organization. 
so as you're as you're looking to grow your organization, you're going to need to have a plan for all of the roles within your organization, right? So people are um, going to be able to take on more responsibility. There are going to be some people who, you know, choose to leave your organization, and that's okay. But when they choose to leave, you should have a plan for filling their role or adjusting that role to make sure that it's aligning to your strategy. Um, you're also going to have new people join. So you want to have make sure you have a clear development plan for those folks that they know how they can progress within the organization, how they can build a career with your company, and how they can be successful. So succession planning is not, again, not a point in time. Sometimes we think about succession planning like, who's going to take over for the CEO? That's 100% important. But it's also important to have a plan for your broader organization so you know and your team knows how they can develop. So it's really not just a one role or a one point in time, but it really is about how as an organization are we going to keep moving people into greater responsibilities, keep developing their skills, and over time make sure that we have the right roles in place, right? Not every role will stay forever a role. So somebody might be, you know, leading a specific initiative, and when they move on to a bigger role, we might say, hey, that, that initiative's closed, so we don't need somebody to take on that role, but we will need somebody to take on this different role once that initiative's closed. Because if this initiative is, is successful, then this new initiative becomes the next priority. And so as leaders, we want to be constantly looking at the horizon, saying what's next for our organization, and how do we develop our team members into being able to take on those responsibilities? I see. So when you're talking about succession planning, you're not just talking about backfilling an executive and, of course, like you said, very important, but also considering what the needs of the organization are now and what they could be in the future and bringing that to bear when you're planning on employees' individual development as well as the new roles that will be needed in the future. I wanted to ask you, is there specific tangible steps you can take to support a leader? Um, let's just say you've outlined a plan to individually develop somebody to backfill into a leadership role, and now they've gotten there and they're a first-time leader, how are, how can you make that transition easier for them or help them be more successful? Yeah, that's a really critical question, Luis, and I'm glad you asked it because a lot of times as leaders, we actually put the onus back on our team member to be successful. We say things like, oh, they should hit the ground running. And everybody's like, well, what does that mean, right? Like, <laughs> I, I mean, I want to be successful, but Nobody clarifies what success looks like in a new role. And sometimes, unfortunately, as a leader, this even becomes a blame game, right? We say, we've all heard about the, the infamous Peter principle where people are promoted because they're successful in a role until they're all of a sudden promoted almost quote unquote too far, and then they're not successful in that role. And that becomes a blame on the employee or on the team member themselves. Like, I guess we shouldn't have promoted them into that role. They weren't able to again, hit the ground running and be successful. And, and we don't look back at ourselves as leaders. And I think the most important and the most critical piece to any team member being successful in their next role is us as their leader, right? We're the, we're the mentor, we're the coach. And a big piece of our job is to make sure that we're taking the steps to help them be successful. So again, this starts at the very beginning. So succession planning has the word right in there. Like the first step is planning. Right? We don't want to skip that step. So we want to make sure, to your point, great point, all of our team members have individual development plans. We've had the conversation about how they want to develop, what kind of roles sound interesting to them. We've also shared with them where we think the strategy is leading and what might be some possible opportunities. This might not be a direct line, right? So you might start in marketing and then say, hey, I actually eventually one day want to become the VP of marketing. 
Well, that actually might involve you taking a leadership role over in operations or in sales to understand a different part of the business. So when you do take on that senior leadership role, you understand how your team can most effectively work across the organization, right? So it's not always a direct path. Sometimes there's some steps across the way, but that doesn't come and that doesn't happen without the plan. And then to your point, you know, this is an exciting day. We've promoted somebody, we've given them more responsibility. We want to make sure as a leader, we're setting up a series of meetings to be really, you know, present for them and available during that transition. So first and foremost, we want to communicate to the organization that there's been a promotion or that somebody's taking on new responsibilities. So that way, everybody in the organization knows, oh, okay, I should go to that person for these questions. Again, you're empowering them to take on that leadership role and and be a part of the meetings they should be a part of and the communications they should be a part of. You want to make sure that you're setting up a regular cadence of meetings. And maybe this means an additional meeting with them. You want to make sure they know what the strategy is, how they're going to set team goals. Maybe they've never set team goals before. And that's that's not you know a bad thing for them. They just have never done it. So as leaders, I think a lot of times we assume that people know how to do these things, but we don't actually take the time to teach them how to, how to take these steps. So we really want to make sure that we're taking all the steps with them. Do you know how to run a team meeting? Here's how you make an agenda. Here's how you gather feedback from your team. And again, this doesn't have to be like formalized sit-down trainings every week, but just really having the dialogue with them, understanding what, what challenges are they facing, and then how do we help them solve them? And it's an ongoing dialogue and an ongoing coaching process with them. And then last but not least, you know, we don't want to skip the ongoing communications with the rest of the team. So oftentimes when somebody's promoted or they get new responsibilities, you might have another team member come up to you and ask, you know, why, why wasn't I given that opportunity? And this is a really honest question, and it's a great question, right? It's an opportunity for you as a leader then to have another conversation with that person and say, okay, let's take out your individual development plan. Let's understand. I want to understand maybe this sounds, this is new to me. So this is a new conversation. So, you know, do you want to update your individual development plan? Maybe it helps you understand where that team member wants to grow and develop more. And it gives you that opportunity to, to have that conversation with the person and re-engage them around development. And so development plans, like everything else, should live and be a living and breathing document. And so, you know, you want to be talking to them about your team members constantly, but also at these key points when people bring up the conversation, you want to make sure that you're really engaging and following through in that conversation. And that, again continues to reinforce that as a leader, you're really tied into their development. It also might open up an opportunity for you as a leader to be able to fill a position that you wouldn't have been able to fill before, right? And so you might be in a leadership meeting, and if you know how all of your team members want to develop and their capabilities and their skills, when a new role comes up that maybe you didn't even know about, you can quickly say to your boss and to your managers, hey, can we have a conversation about, you know, one of my team members who might be a really good fit for this role? And that mm. prepares you to be able to better, you know, support your team and better suggest, you know, when there might be another opportunity for them, uh, even if it's not within your own team, but within the organization to really contribute at a higher level. I see. Thank you. It sounds like first and foremost, the priorities are to plan, 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 be proactive about your succession planning. It's right in the name of it, right? So be purposeful about it and have an eye towards the future. Then to make sure that once you do promote somebody and you have them develop into this new role, that you're empowering them, right? You're giving them the tools they need. You're creating a forum, maybe perhaps to communicate with them in an informal way to coach them on new skills that they might need as a leader. And then third, 
making sure that the communication is happening between that leader and their new team members, right? Maybe use some of those as an opportunity to discuss development planning and see where those team members not just are currently, but where they are looking to go in the future and using that information to, to look for opportunities within their, within their organization. So we've talked about the oversimplification of employee engagement, how we can move from a point in time in there into a process similar to the oversimplification of team building. And we just finished up with succession planning. Thank you for sharing that, Tracy. Really appreciate today's episode. Yeah, thank you. This has been fun. And uh, I look forward to you know an ongoing dialogue with our listeners. Um, and if they have any questions, they can obviously reach out to us on, on social media and keep the conversation going. But thank you for, for continuing your efforts on the podcast. And, and we look forward to next week. Absolutely. I'll see you next week. Thank you. All right. Thanks. You've been listening to Building Teams with Teams & Co. To learn more about the latest thinking on how to empower your team to deliver exceptional results or to book a consultation, please visit us at teamsandco.com or follow us at LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook.